Just a reminder of where, where we've been. The prophet of God was named Jonah. He was given a very clear, concise call, and that was to go to Nineveh in order to talk about their need to repent. We learned about the nature of the Ninevites, the incredible wall around the city, especially learned about their cruelty. They were, uh, we have labeled them uh, the ISIS of the day, even down to where their ISIS headquarters is, was right there, right there at Nineveh. Jonah's reaction was to run the other direction against this clear, concise call. Now, we've, we've drawn our map on, on the wall behind me and talked about how far he had planned to run and so on. Uh, but let me give us a side note today without talking about the distances of where Nineveh would be and where Tarshish is. Uh, because in terms of him running, the moment, the very moment he decided to say no to the call of God, he had already run as far as he could. He had already lost himself at that point, regardless of how far away he ultimately got. Now we fast forwarded to the end of the book, our first two weeks, and we saw the reason why he uh, didn't want to go to Nineveh it's because he knew of God's nature. He knew there was a very real possibility that if he uh, called on them for repentance, if they repented, that God would then not bring the judgment upon them. And that's why he didn't even want to tell them about that possibility. Last week we saw the goings-on on the ship, which was on the way to Tarshish. God sends the storm. The sailors uh, discover that Jonah is the culprit. Jonah knows this all along. They say, well, what are we going to do? And he says, throw me into the ocean. They are in this huge storm. They are convinced that it's going to be the end of their lives unless something happens. And so, they try everything else. They actually have more compassion on him than he had on the Ninevites. They try everything else to try to uh, uh, escape the storm when they are convinced that won't happen. They take him up on their advice, and they throw him in. And then we see... The storm goes away immediately. And we see what happens with the mariners. They apparently come to faith. Not because of Jonah's witness, but in spite of his witness. These mariners come to faith. And by the way, in what we're going to read today, Jonah wouldn't have known anything about them coming to faith because he was, he was in the ocean 
by then. And so then this is what happens in verse one, or chapter 1, verse 17. And the Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. And Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me. Out of the belly of Sheol I cried, and you heard my voice, for you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the flood surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever, yet you brought me up my life from the pit. O Lord, my God, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord and my prayers came to you into your holy temple. Those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. But I, with the voice of thanksgiving, will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray together. Lord, we have just read a bit of history. We have just read your truth that you preserved for your people down through the centuries and for us today. Will you apply it to our lives? Will you teach us? Will you encourage us and comfort us? We would ask for this in Jesus' precious name. Amen. So we have the great fish. In verse 17, it says, The Lord appointed a great fish to swallow up Jonah. Jonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights. Now, if you will remember, in our uh, first message on Jonah, I read to you from uh, Francis Thompson's uh, poem, The Hound of Heaven. And I read this portion. I want to read you another line today, but I read this portion. Uh, This was first published back in the 1890s. I fled him down the nights and down the days. I fled him down the arches of the years. I fled him down the labyrinthine ways of my own mind. And in the midst of tears, I hid from him. Then it goes on to say, from those 
strong feet that followed, followed after, but with unhurrying chase and unperturbed pace, deliberate speed. Now, there's a lot more to the poem, but do you get what he's saying here? He's saying, I am fleeing, I'm running with all my might, and I hear behind me footsteps, unhurried, but unwilling to stop, unwilling to quit, unwilling to give up those steps that continue to follow me. And that hound of heaven pursued Jonah as well. Here, again, we see one of the great themes in Jonah, and that is evangelism and the sovereignty of God. How do those two things uh, fit together? But we see it over and over uh, throughout this book. He showed his sovereignty in bringing the Gentile sailors, the Gentile mariners, to himself. Jonah didn't even know that was part of the plan. He, he knew he was supposed to go to the Ninevites, but he also knew about uh, God's uh, merciful sovereignty. So he went the other way. And yet in God's infinite, perfect plan, he sees fit for these sailors that we see at the beginning of uh, uh, that chapter, they're calling on their own gods, panicking that they think their life is over. And toward the end of that chapter, they are calling on the true God and making vows to Him. That's God's sovereignty. I love the use of the word appointed in the verse I just read to you. And the Lord appointed a great fish. <laughs> now, some of your versions may say, prepared a great fish. That's a good translation. But I like appointed too. Because here we see uh, this, this miracle taking place place with uh, this, well, let's talk about the fish itself. Uh, one commentator called the fish the most criticized fish ever to swim in the Mediterranean. So, you know, people saying it couldn't have happened, he wasn't there and all that, and here's the poor fish just doing what his creator told him to do. He was, as we said, he was more obedient than Jonah was, Right? The storm was more obedient than Jonah was. And so we have this fish. And I, I don't want to spend too much time on that because it's easy to do that because it's fascinating. But to, to focus too much on that uh, can take us away from the big miracle, which is that, that, that God saved Jonah. He could have done it however he wanted. He could have made it so Jonah had the strength to swim all the way to shore. He could have, you know, he could have let him walk on the water to shore if he wanted to. But he appointed a fish. Now, let's 
quickly talk about that. First of all, the timing is part of the miracle. Think about it. He's thrown in. That fish has to be in the right place, the the right kind of fish, in the right place, at the right time, to intercept him. So God had to work it out to where this creature of his was right there when it was necessary. Now, what about fish like that? Well, there are such fish in the Mediterranean that can swallow men. Um, Other kinds of fish with large enough mouths uh, and a large enough stomach that can swallow uh, a man. Uh, You can look it up. You could spend all day looking up stories about how these things have happened. Uh, One commentator uh, talks about uh, the sperm whale that's in, that is found in the Mediterranean. They thought there weren't any there for a long time, but which ha- has a mouth 20 feet long, 15 feet high, and 9 feet wide. So basically, and, and a, a huge stomach, and so basically it's larger than most of our living rooms, okay? And so there, there are those kinds of fish and whales, And there are stories of men being swallowed. And even one that was swallowed and then they harpooned uh, the whale and it spit the man out. But here's the thing. I don't care how many stories are out there of times that it's happened. We don't want to be so arrogant as to say, Well, we're preserving God's reputation. See, it really could happen because it happened to others. Here is a point where we've got to to say, how big is our God? If, If your God's not big enough to create and appoint a fish, control a fish, to swallow a man and then spit him up on command, if your God's not that big, don't even think about him being big enough to have a dead man walk out of a tomb. But he is that big. And so, we see absolutely uh, God miraculously delivered Jonah. Now, the other part of the miracle uh, is that he was able to live in there for, uh, for three days. Uh, three days and three nights, it says. Now, just so we know, that's a Hebrew idiom. That is, uh, it, it does mean at least portions of three days, but it could be a little bit of one day, a full second day, and a little bit of a third day, and they still would have said three days and three nights. That's how they talked in that term. Now, you're saying, well, that doesn't make sense. Well, doesn't matter whether it makes sense to us. That's how the Hebrews talk. They use that term. It might have been three full days and uh, three full nights, but uh, it, it, any portion of those three days would have uh, fulfilled what it says here. So he had three days to pray. But here's the thing. Time to pray 
wasn't really Jonah's problem, was it? He had time before that. He would have had uh, a number of days in the hold of the ship. Nobody probably bother him, unless there's a big storm and so on. So it wasn't about him not having time. He wasn't going to pray. God knew his heart. And so God, let's just say, gave him the opportunity to have three days and three nights. By the way, it doesn't say this, and I didn't see any other commentators say this, so this is original, but, so don't quote me because uh, that's risky anytime you're original. But I'm pretty sure that it was uh, not only three days of prayer, but three days of fasting also. You know, I like seafood and even sushi as much as the next guy. But I wouldn't be eating anything coming into that stomach. So um, there he is. He's got time for this, and God used that time. And some time over the course of that time, he prayed. And we're going to look at this prayer. Now, I suppose you can outline anything, but that's usually not a good way to look at, at someone's prayer. So what I want to do is make some observations about this and then notice some affirmations that he made, which would be different than he would have made a few minutes before when he was, uh, or the day or, or so before when he was still running from God. First of all, I want you to notice the use of Scripture. Now, I think this must be a summary of his prayers because, uh, I, you know, he had, he had three days in the belly of the fish or whale. And this prayer, I read it through, it took me uh, like less than a minute. And I'm a slow talker. So that leaves a whole lot of other time. But if you notice, the words here are almost completely made up of phrases from other scriptures, mostly the Psalms. Now, I put that in the outline. We're not going to go over all those. You can look them up. But what you will see if you look up those verses I put in that outline are either identical or almost identical phrases. Now, that doesn't necessarily mean it's a quote, but... At least he was feeling something the psalmist said. So, so here's, here's what I surmise took place is that, that um, there he is uh, in, in the belly of the whale. Now, remember, he would not have had a Gideon New, New Testament and Psalms uh, in his pocket. No pockets, for one thing, but... Uh, you know, he wouldn't have had that with him. And even if he had, it would have been pitch black in there, right? Now, if you're like me, you've got to get this picture out of your mind of Geppetto that was also in a whale, and he built a little fire in there. <laughs> That's not what happened here. So, 
he would have been in pitch black. I'm convinced that, that God brought to his remembrance these psalms that he had studied. He was a prophet of God. He would have known the psalms. And so God would have brought them to his mind and perhaps one verse here and then he meditated on it and so on. And then, then another verse came to his mind. He meditated on it and so on. And then here what we see is I think them just being strung together as a summary of what he prayed about. The Psalms, and here's an application for us. The Psalms express all of our most honest emotions. And so, read the Psalms. Read them over and over and over again. Don't ever quit reading them. Camp in the Psalms. Think about them. And then when you're in the dark, when you're in a dark place, literally or figuratively, let God use those in your life. That's what I believe we see here as he brought comfort. Now let's look at the things Jonah affirmed. We're going to go through this uh, quickly. It says, verse 2, Uh, Verse 1, then Jonah prayed to the Lord his God from the belly of the fish, saying, I called out to the Lord out of my distress, and he answered me out of the belly of Sheol. Sheol there is the place of the dead. Sometimes it had to do with judgment. Not always, but he might have been thinking in those terms from the place of judgment of the dead and so on. But But if nothing else, he's saying, I called out from the grave. I was as good as dead. I cried, and you heard my voice. And then again in verse 7, when my life was fainting away, I remembered the Lord, and my prayer came to you into your holy temple. Here he's saying, I had, you know, you're in your holy temple, but I'm in the belly of a fish, and I still had access to you. You think he's learned a lesson already? You can't run to Tarshish to be away from him? He's affirming that God hears his children's prayers. He had wanted to die. Throw me in. I'm the problem. But once he hit the water, he wanted God's mercy for himself, not his wrath. Secondly, He affirms that God was in control. Verse 3. For you cast me into the deep, into the heart of the seas, and the floods surrounded me. All your waves and your billows passed over me. Now remember, it was Jonah that suggested that he be thrown overboard. And it was actually the sailors that did the throwing overboard. But here we see Jonah recognizing it was not Jonah who was in control. It was not the sailors. It was not Mother Nature that was in control, but it was God using what we would call secondary causes. And that's ordinarily how he works. 
But Jonah is saying, you, God, cast me into the deep. He is affirming that God was the ultimate cause and God was in control throughout that time. And then, thirdly, Jonah affirms that God had miraculously saved him. Verse 4, Then I said, I'm driven away from your sight, yet I shall again look upon your holy temple. The waters... I'm reading this quickly, but think how horrifying this was to be conscious and to be going through this. The waters closed in over me to take my life. The deep surrounded me. Weeds were wrapped around my head at the roots of the mountains. I went down to the land whose bars closed upon me forever. Yet you brought me, brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. This sounds as though he had literally sunk to the bottom of the ocean. Now, again, we don't know how far out he was. We don't know how deep it was. But you know what? It doesn't matter. He was, if he was on the bottom of the ocean, I don't care if it was 10 feet deep, he knew it was over for him. Weeds around him. He's there on the land, the mountains that are the bottom of the ocean. Could have been hundreds of feet. Whatever it was, he knew that was it. But he says, yet you brought up my life from the pit, O Lord my God. He knew how he was physically saved from that. And then the fourth thing he affirms is there are no other gods. Verse 8, those who pay regard to vain idols forsake their hope of steadfast love. Then he goes on to say, but with a voice of thanksgiving. Now, some take this, some commentators say this is a a sign of his arrogance that he's saying, you know, I've got a different kind of faith that if you seek after uh, vain idols, then, you know, there won't be comfort there. You don't have hope of a steadfast love. But I really like what James Montgomery Boyce uh, says about this. He sees this as a personal penance. And here's here's what he means by it. He's acknowledging that when a believer uh, puts something else in the place of God and turns from him, he also turns from God's mercy. And Jonah knew he had done that. And Boyce believes that this is a sign that that. Uh, God had convicted him of his running from him, of his putting himself perhaps on the throne and a sign of his penance. He also points out that Jonah shows penance in that he doesn't ask God for anything at this point. He doesn't say, now you, you saved me so far, but get me out of here, or you know, if you get me out of here, I'll do this, because that might have been some kind of a temporal kind of faith. He doesn't ask for anything at this point. He's just affirming his praise for God. And Boyce believes, and I do too, a godly sorrow for his actions. Here's the prophet of God 
that had just given up all hope in God, and God had renewed that hope in him. The fifth thing we see him affirm is a renewed obedience to God. Verse 9. But with the voice of thanksgiving, I will sacrifice to you. What I have vowed, I will pay. Salvation belongs to the Lord. Now let me take you back to what I'm calling this series, and that is grappling with grace. Because that's what we see Jonah doing throughout the book, is grappling with this grace, this God of grace, and a God who would show grace to those who don't deserve it. Think through uh, Jonah's trek and his wrestling with this doctrine. Now, grace is undeserved favor. From a, a biblical perspective, after Christ, we would say God's riches at Christ's expense. That acronym we sometimes use for grace. God's riches at Christ's expense. Jonah had lived in Israel. He had experienced God's grace in Israel. He had enjoyed the benefits of living in a place that was experiencing God's wonderful grace. And then he was called to share that grace with the Ninevites. They didn't, hadn't experienced any of that. And Jonah didn't want to do it. Jonah did not want to share that grace. Jonah was acting as if he and his people somehow deserved God's grace. But those other people don't. Now, do you get it with the, the definition of grace? If, he, if anywhere in his mind he was thinking <clears throat> that we deserve it more, of course God's people, of course the Israelites would experience God's grace. If that's anywhere in there, then he doesn't understand grace at all. Because the Israelites didn't deserve God's grace. Now, here's the thing. I could stand up here and try to bring an application home, and uh, it's harder now that I've called the Ninevites ISIS, but I could bring an application home and say, you know, we're all Ninevites. Okay? And a lot of you would probably say, well, yeah, yeah, we, we don't deserve God's grace. But somewhere in your mind... You wouldn't say this out loud, but you'd be thinking, but we're good Ninevites here. <laughs> we're not Ninevites like those Ninevites. And if we ever fall into that trap, we're doing just what Jonah was doing. And that is thinking that somehow we deserve it, even just a little bit. And if we believe that lie, then we're missing out on how wonderful grace really is. 
And then look at verse 10. And the Lord spoke to the fish, and it vomited Jonah out upon the dry land. Other than this verse, I've never said vomited from the pulpit before. And I've been forced to say it several times. It seems to me that this trial lasted until Jonah came round. You know, in God's providence, it was three days and three nights. We're going to see how that connects to the sign of Jesus and his resurrection. We're going to go into all of that. It's used in the New Testament to talk about how Jesus would be in the tomb and so on. But he wasn't going to be up on the dry land till that trial was over from God's perspective. And that's what we see here. Even Jonah's rebellion was not outside of God's providence. God didn't just come up with an alternate plan when he called Jonah and Jonah started to run the other way. God didn't go, "Uh uh-oh, now what am I going to do? You know, i got to get me a fish. i got to, you know. He wasn't panicking. This was all in his providential plan. Now look what happened to Jonah during this. When God called him, he knew his heart. So before he could go to evil Nineveh, Jonah would, in essence, become like the Ninevites, rebellious. And then he would be sent to Sheol, like the Ninevites were destined for, to experience the kind of death that he would be warning them about. And then he would, as it were, be resurrected, saved from certain death, and he would know it was by the grace and mercy of God that he was saved. Then and only then would he be humbled and utterly reliant on God and be ready to go to Nineveh and serve God's purpose. Now we're going to see he still had issues. Even the prophet of God had struggles with his own heart. But God's plan is perfect. And he will always accomplish it. Thanks be to God. Let's bow together. And so we thank you, Lord. Thank you for the mirror of your word that sometimes shows us things about ourselves that we don't want to see, but we need to see. Thank you for using the prophet Jonah in spite of himself. And that encourages us. 
Because if, if you're going to use us, there's going to be a lot of times it's going to have to be in spite of us. But in that, Lord, you get all the glory. And so we thank you in Jesus' precious name. Amen.